Hey there, and welcome to the daily podcast where wisdom smacks us with kisses or love taps. I'm Michelle Spiva, a wisdom strengthening coach, your host, and practical priestess of wisdom. Join us daily to gain wisdom and mental strength as we tackle innovative thinking, address emotional and behavioral life traps, and yes, provide you with some practical how-tos to wrap it all up. So settle in or crank up the speed 2x, whatever gets your mental processes firing as we dive in. Stay tuned. So let me get this straight. You're drinking that coffee that you know passed through a cat. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your practical priestess of wisdom. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just laughing about that whole cat coffee. Anyway, stick with me on the flip as we get to talking about how to create perceived value. Oh, yes, there is a way to do it. I'll see you on the flip. Perceived value. Perceived. Yeah, that word right there. When you perceive something, it is how you not only see something, but you give uh, meaning and value to it. And talking about this whole how to create perceived value stems from the, the fact that nothing has meaning until we assign it one. And If nothing has meaning until we assign it one, people know how to circumvent to get you to assign things the meaning that they want you to have. Oh, yes. So thank you for joining me on the flip as we get to talking about how to do this very thing. Uh, Now, today is a wisdom smack. This is not about how to hoodoo voodoo or or hoodwink anyone, uh, nothing of the sort. But what we're going to be talking about is we are going to be talking about how to create perceived, a higher perceived value. Let me just say that for yourself and for the things that concern you. And the reason why I want to talk about this is this is one of those wisdom skills trainings that people take for granted that they know. And then when it comes time for them to put it into action, they fail miserably. And I'm not going to have you out here bad if uh, at all I can help. Okay, so stick with me as we do like we do. We get practical. I'm going to give you a few little insights and uh, story here or there. And you are hopefully going to be all the wiser. All right. So let me do my job and serve you as a practical priest should. So the first thing I want to do is just impress upon you that when you are looking at this quote unquote perceived value, whether it be for yourself or for things, understand that it has nothing to do with established real value. Okay. So in the A part, I talked about uh, a person who was bragging about that cat poop coffee out of Indonesia. And uh, one of my one of my acquaintances that I've known for many years, and he was talking about how, oh, it's just so good and all of this kind of stuff. And nosy me, curious, not nosy, curious. Yes, curious me, you know, I had to go and figure out what was the big whoop about this coffee. Because to me, trying to get around the fact that you are knowingly, knowingly drinking coffee 
that has passed through an, uh, a cat. Yeah. Yeah, basically a cat. And you knowingly pay premium for this this thing and you drink it. And so I found um, a whole bunch of different uh, write-ups about it. And I wanted to know what does it look like when, uh, I mean, not look like, but uh, what, what, what happened for this whole process to be discovered? And lo and behold, there was an article that came out uh, just maybe a couple of years ago because I it's been around for quite a while. And I started hearing about it in the early 2010s. And so I found one because I, I, I don't know, it's it always stuck with me to like make a character, a fictional character who who loved this coffee. And so, you guys, that's the re- real reason why I can even talk somewhat about this whole thing. Okay, so the cat poop coffee, uh, the way it came about, or the origin story of it was, was that under Dutch rule in Indonesia, they did what colonizers do, and they took the best and left the rest. And so the local people would have to try to scrounge around for coffee beans to be able to grind their coffee and make their living. And so what ended up happening was that a lot of the coffee that was not co-opted for um, the great uh, Dutch companies uh, would be left moldy and, and just basically unpleasant and unusable. And so, as you might already know, an um, uh, invention is, you know, I mean, the mother of necessity is invention. And so people got clever. And what they did was they realized that when these cats would poop mixed in their you know, their feces, would be partially uh, processed cherries, not the beans, the cherries. So in actuality, it's not like it was the actual bean being exposed to their insides, but still that junk is, yeah. And so they call uh, this bean cherry copy uh, luwak, okay? Kopi luwak, I think that's how you pronounce it. And it became known as cat poop coffee, cat poop coffee. And it's because of the cat that they call a a shevet. And so, like I said, they take the shevet's um, defecation, their dung, and then they source for these partially processed cherries. Uh, And then they put it through the process and there you have the coffee. And so... The thing is, is what do you do when you have coffee that has basically come out of the dung of a, of a, a cat, you come up with a great story. Oh yes. And so over the years, starting even back, they started really kind of talking about it, uh, back in the, um, nine, um, the nineties of last, uh, of, of last, uh, century, 1990s. And they came up with a way to make it where they turned this drawback into an aspirational luxury. And thus, the um, one of the, re- the directors of a, a high-end um, retailer uh, known for their demand in specialty coffees and luxury retailers and all of that uh, – came in and um, did a overhaul on the story of the coffee. So what used to be the everyday man's uh, hustle coffee, you know, to try to make a living, became what was known as the most expensive coffee in the world. And it 
never seems to amaze me the power of perception. And um, there is a statement that I have said over and over. It's from a fictitious character from the book, uh, The Engines of God, where the archaeologist in the book says, show me what a people admire and I will show you what mattered to that people. And perception and uh, how you view it and how you put value on this perception is one of those things. What do you admire and why do you admire it? All right. So you guys, we're going to do a little bit of um, undercover psychology of how we're wired and why things matter and and why people are able to bypass uh, a lot of your uh, source controls to get over on you. Let's just be honest. Okay. So with that, One of the things that you can remember, so here's where we get practical. So to create perceived value of something, whether it be yourself or or whatever, is that you need to get clear on an appealing message about what the thing is about or about what you're about and what people will gain from interacting with you. Now, for a lot of people going back to the cat poop coffee, they gained... Um, the look of an adventurer or a uh, sophisticated palate of claiming that this coffee tasted great. And over and over again, people who were not um, mesmerized by the story would taste the coffee and be like, I can make better coffee in my home espresso machine. And so over the years, it has lost a little bit of its glamour and people are piercing the veil to understand that this is probably... the Business Insider did say in that article that I was referring to from uh, 2018 that it seems like it's a tourist trap. <laughs> so, you know, but people still like to have that story that they say, I drank or tasted this coffee because it gives you a certain amount of um, exclusivity, a certain amount of uh, cachet, you know, a certain amount of station that you can drink. You're so important, influential, rich, whatever, that you can drink coffee that has passed through a cat. Yes. All right. And so getting into the understanding of this creation of perceived value, we can start looking at the concept of aspiration. Now, I've talked in another podcast when I talked about Are You an Inferior Good? That's the name of that podcast. I talked about everything from an inferior good all the way up to an aspirational good. So a quick little recap. An inferior good, dear one, is a good that you purchase. Uh, you know, you bemoan the purchase, but you purchase it. So for instance, if you need uh, toiletries and um, utility items, you know, you, you will in, in today's world, you, you need toilet paper, you need TP. And so that would be considered a mandatory, you know, toiletry or utility item. But say, for instance, you're running short on cash and you want the top brand. I'm talking about you want that Charmin plush plush with the uh, perfume all through it. And it's so it's just silk, honey. It's, It's wonderful. But your budget says that you need to have the toilet paper that's wrapped in uh, one one roll that you can buy one roll at a time and it's wrapped in tissue paper. And when you open it up, if you hold it up to the light real good, you can actually almost see the wood pulp dust in the paper still. That would be called an inferior good. And the reason why it's an inferior good is because as soon as someone is able to do better, they will. 
And so an inferior good is not going to have a high amount of perceived value, okay? And it's not, you're no, you will know inferior goods because they tell no story or they tell little story. And when I say they tell no story, especially if you look at the marketing and the packaging, and if you look at an inferior good, the inferior good is probably going to be in clear or white paper with, with black writing. And it's going to say toilet paper. <laughs> it's basically, that's what it's going to say. There's no story there. But if you notice the higher up you get on um, the the line all the way up to the consumer goods, to the brand names, to the aspirational products. The more and more you get up there, you notice that they'll start to have specified dedicated colors, logos. They will have mascots, jingles. And then the higher up you get, they will have stories and presentation. And it is because to create perceived value is to create a powerful story. Now, as a person versed in psychology and um, using it every day in, in what I do for a living and how I create story, I'm going to tell you this, that when we look at the psychology of what we're talking about, which would be consumer psychology, we look at how the brain processes uh, interaction with a thing or a new concept. And it is at this current time, because everything changes, at this current time, the fastest way to bypass the logical programming of the frontal lobe where people are going to reason and work through for the purpose of really saying no to any new purchase. You know we're wired that way, right? In order to bypass that, the best way to do it is to create a story. Now, the story does not have to be an actual story that you have to listen to. No, your story can be exemplified in a clear, appealing message about what you're about and what people gain from interacting with you. So let's take the toilet paper again. And when you look at that, say, for instance, in America, we have Charmin, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in a lot of other countries. But for the sake of what I know, I'm going to go with that. So when you look at Charmin, Charmin now has different levels. They've got their basic. And when you look at their packaging at the time of this recording, their packaging is basic with a little bit of color because it wants to make sure you understand that it is not an inferior good. It's above an inferior good. And so the story with basic is straight to the point. Even the colors, they have um, the color of orange and blue. The writing is usually in blue with the accent colors of orange. Now, orange is an ignition color. It gets you to take action and it gets you to crave and, and want something. That is why a lot of times when you are seeing color combinations, you see that tomatoey red with that almost orangey yellow because together those subconsciously tell you eat, buy, do, okay? And so with that basic packaging, they've got, at, like I said, at this particular time, they have that orange, but it is bordered and bounded by blue, a navy blue that is both calming, but authoritative to make people feel at peace and trustworthy. So they are subliminally telling you this might say basic on it, but I want you to get it and I want you to appreciate and use it because it is worth uh, more than we're charging you. 
And so people buy that. Then you move up to what Charmin is normally traditionally used to. And they created a little difference in that, in that they have a version that's for strong, (laughs) meaning that, you know, if you are an aggressive wiper, this one's for you. And then one that's soft. If you like to still have your your bud brush with a, a feather, this one is for you. And they differentiate them by colors. But this is where you start to see the stories. Because they cost the most, and now they have little mascots, which are blue uh, bears for one of the products and red for the other one, so that people can automatically associate which bear family lives to the pro- lives with the product that they want. And not only that, they have them positioned in action uh, stances or doing something on the packaging, which is um, intimating that there is a story. And then they have. Uh, the um, regular commercials that come on that are cartoonish. And so they appeal to all parts of the family. They make those little baby bears look so freaking adorable and all of this. And they have the mama bear and the daddy bear and all of that. And then they have little catchphrases and little puns and, and the like. And so you get to the point where you know the story of the bears and it gets to the point where you're like, um, I'm going to take the blue bear if I need the strong. I'm going to take the red bear if I need the saw. And you don't even realize that you are buying premium toilet paper because of some cartoon bears. Because their story is so appealing. And they did it through the packaging first and foremost with a clear appealing message to let you know that if you use this toilet paper, your whole family is going to be so happy with you and proud of you. And you're going to have all the fun that you, you that these little bears have. And so go on and get this toilet paper, right? All right. So the next thing that I want to say about how to create this perceived value as it pertains to you or other things is to understand that there are three, if you, if you just manage to get these three, this will shortcut your, um, your, your struggles with creating perceived value, okay? And the reason why I'm going to give you these three is they really pertain to the social aspect. In today's world, the way you get work, the way you get money, <laughs> the way you make a livelihood about yourself is by upping your perceived value. And it, like yesterday when I talked about the ocean as a sea of people, it's the same thing. You are in this great sea and you have to find a way to stand out. And the best way to be able to stand out is by doing this, creating this perceived value. So here are three things. I'm actually going to give you more than that. But here are three that I want to make sure that you get. And so to be able to cre- create perceived value where you are deemed highly valuable or what you do is deemed highly valuable, you first, not first, but you want to make sure that you create admiration. So again, going back to that quote that I said earlier about uh, show me what a people admire and I will show you what matters to them. So to, in order to create admiration, you need to do things that people can be inspired by, that people find remarkable. Like for instance, today is epi- episode number 290. And I get people that tell me all the time when they check out my podcast, how impressive it is that I do a daily podcast. And thus, I start to gain some admiration from people. So then the next thing is, is when you're creating this admiration, make sure that you do it in 
a base level, meaning that at most you are perceived as a colleague. But it's always better to debase yourself where people can feel like they're just a little bit over you, you know, because the admiration is really easy to to be conjured when people look at you and they can be like, oh, and they have a wee bit of sympathy for you because they feel like they're above you. And that's okay, as long as it's accomplishing the goals that you needed to accomplish. If your ego is is solid and okay, it is what it is. Okay, so after you create this admiration, then you want to create a sense of exclusivity. Now, you can't always use the obvious ones like a limit on the number of things or uh, saying it is only a limited uh, source that you got this product from or any of that. No, what you can do with creating exclusivity is to create the um, culture of a person. Apple does this all the time. Apple is never going to tell you that they are sold out of units. Oh no, they're going to make as many as they can to get in your little Apple loving hands. And how they create their exclusivity is a understated, subtle influence whereby they say, because you can afford a Mac product, you're special. You understand quality and you're not just one of the regular gruff, rough peons. And so people stick their chest a little, out a little bit when you see them with a Mac. And, you know, it, it was that the, the, the products were good and they continue to be good. But there is something about that inbred exclusivity that you are part of a certain culture that you have to aspire to get to. And that brings me to the the third creation. So we we just talked about creating admiration. Then we talked about creating a sense of exclusivity. And then the next one is to create status and aspiration. Now, I could have said, you know, put them separately, but status and aspiration go hand in hand. And of course, we've talked on this podcast about status and how important it is for people, whether you believe it to be so or not. Whenever you interact with someone or or the concept of someone, something, you are always weighing it against yourself. There are a lot of people that don't realize that status is what rules their world. Have you ever had someone, or maybe it's you, you meet someone and subconsciously or otherwise, you find that you are lacking when it comes to them. You feel like they have an edge on you. And depending on how you're, you know, how, how you are situated in how you see your world, you could take it as they are snobbish or they are unlikable or um, they have a chip or whatever it might be. But then you can also look at it and say, well, this is something that I need to ask, you know, I need to buckle up. You get convicted or you want to do better. You want to meet the challenge of uh, being up to where they are. And so they might tend to inspire you. And so depending on how you look at that, you're still working with a sense of status. And one of the things I will say is this, when you can appeal to people uh, by, by connecting the fact that being around you increases their status, you have done a great service in upping your perceived value. Also, with regards to the aspiration, 
aspiration does not necessarily mean that you have to be at a station to be aspired to. Instead, you can use the connective power. You know how we've talked about the different types of power. And there is a power called connective power. And this connective power is going to be the great networker. This is going to be the person who knows everyone but claims to not have any power. But at any given time, they are a great gatekeeper to all your dreams. It's kind of like you look at these godfather types or godmother types where they, everybody knows them. They're in the industry, but not really in it. But they are power, part of the power, part of the movers and the shakers, and part of how things get done. And once you identify these types of people, you will find that by association, you are able to work off of their status to elevate you and you are able to access a lot of the a-, a lot of the aspirational avenues that they control patrol or have uh the the key to so when you have people that you're like you need to meet this person if you meet this person and they like you they will and and some people in the entertainment industry say they'll put you on meaning that they will start to tout you to the power movers and shakers who are looking for the talent looking for fresh meat <laughs> and, and all of those things and so being able to know and operate in these three areas is going to be very powerful to help you with your perceived value and so The next thing is that in order to work with someone and not convince them to give you money, but show them that it is a good thing to want to give you money, I'm going to tell you this this little inside truth. And I wrote this down. I was like, "Eh, should I share it? But yes, wisdom was like, share it. And so in order to create perceived value in either you, your services, or someone else's services, and this is not just a salesy type thing, this goes for even if you're trying to promote yourself to be in a certain clique, a certain social setting, or a social status, do this. Either promote some type of ease of use, meaning that you know how to do something that makes it real easy, and it's usually something that's complicated with a barrier or a uh, or a uh, wall of entry that people have a hard time getting over. Or you can uh, uh, show the that your options or the way you do something or or what you can access has superiority over other options. It's kind of like the insider little known tips, but give you big and great results if you use them. So the insider knowledge, the insider way. So um, let me go back and just kind of like review and summarize everything so that you can understand how important it is to have this skill of creating perceived value. Now today for the scope of it, we have been talking about how it pertains to you. Now, of course, this stuff can work for um, products. It can work for uh, services and, and all of these other things. But suffice it to say that because we are ever growing and this, this, This little ball, this little planet is so full of people. You have to get to the point where you can understand how to start tapping into your uniqueness and not only tapping into it, but presenting it in a way where other people will find great value. All right. So in summary, understand that value 
is uh, connected with meaning. And when people observe something or interact with it, we each have the power to assign meaning to what we take in. To enact perceived value is to short code or override a person's ability to assign an arbitrary meaning to what they see, aka you, your services, who you are, what you do. And so when you are working on creating perceived value, you are broadcasting to them and overriding what they would naturally assign to you to assign something that you would want them to assign you as. And for most people, the higher, the better. Okay. Now there's a time for everything. If you are a cat burglar, you want people to not even see you. So you, you want to blend in and be as invisible as possible, but it still takes work. And it, you know, it's still something that you need to work at. Okay. So once you've worked with the, uh, uh, the meaning of something and, and understood that it is time for you to take power over this, the first thing that you are going to do is to get really clear on the message about who you are, who you are, what you're about and what people can gain from interacting with you. If you are a comedian and you are here to help people laugh at or with you or to help people open their eyes to see things in a bright new way, because, you know, a lot of comedians have very strong observation skills, then that's going to be you and you're going to get clear about it with your message. And the next thing is, is understand that the best way to start creating and overriding the programming uh, around uh, perceived value and what matters to people is to get real proficient in story. So remember the, 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 the toilet paper example, the lower or the, if, if something has non-existent story, it's, doesn't have a high perceived value. The higher the value, the more intricate the story is and uh, the more pronounced it is and whether it be packaging or otherwise. When people tell you that they dress to impress, what they are saying is, I am using my outer dress and, and how I carry myself as a tool to increase my perceived value. And understand that those are there are three main things that you can work on and create to strengthen the probability that your perceived value will be high. And those are you want to create some kind of way for there to be admiration. You want to create a way for a person to feel exclusive. And then you want to create a way for status and aspirations to be either met or to be given the hope that they will be met. And then as an aside, if you're working with something or or service or a good or you're promoting something, two great ways to be able to build in this perceived value or translate it over to people successfully is to either promote its ease of use. Why is this so important? Because it's so easy and uh, you show automation, simplification or syndication, you know, and then Uh, You can also use the fact that it has superiority over the other options available, or you can tie that into aspiration exclusivity, or you can tie it into something to be admired and and, uh, sought after. So guess what? Yep, my time is up. I thank you for yours. This is Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with another podcast.
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.